So because if they're having olive oil itself, would they have the olive leaf as well? You've got to remember there's chemical differences. So consider the olive oil as food, as prevention, as being the basis of good health. And it's rich in, in the polyphenols, yes, but nowhere near as much as the leaf. The chemistry is a bit different. You've got more sterols, more fatty acids, more triterpenoids in the oil, and you've got more of your biophenols, so the olirupine, hydroxytyrosol, flavonoids, etc., in the leaf. And so the leaf is your medicine and your oil is your food in prevention. That's the way I look at it. Mentoring with Geraldine is a bite-sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists, coaches, and practitioners. This podcast responds directly to the needs of you, the practicing natural therapist. We have interviews during the holiday season and business and mindset support each week so you'll get the variety you need to enjoy and stay motivated in your practice. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly episodes And if you want to connect with me, always check the show notes because that's where you'll find the links to book appointments and, of course, to join the Academy, the membership group, where there's constant connection and community with like-minded practitioners. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size Podcast. How the devil are you? So, I'm... Very excited because we're getting to talk olives and olive oil and yummy olives and olives are my favorite food and olive oil is my favorite oil with Ian Breakspear. And he is definitely the man in the know about olives. And it seems a bit strange, you know, in a practitioner podcast to be talking about olives, but actually it's not because when our clients come to us, we're talking about food, we're talking about what they eat. And back in the day, because I grew up working in Italian restaurants, right? I waitress, and they always used a ton of olive oil. They didn't use anything else. And then it was like, oh, no, you can't use olive oil. The smoke point. But they were just like, we're using olive oil. We don't care. We're going to keep using olive oil. We're, that's what mum used. I can't not use olive oil. And thank goodness they kept doing it because then we had all this smoke point discussion. And oh, it just goes on, doesn't it? So I finally have someone who can give us the lowdown on the olives and on the olive oil and all the things we need to know to share with our clients. Ian, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Yeah, pleasure, Geraldine. It's um, any opportunity to talk about this passion of mine, which relatively recent passion, but definitely something I've delved into quite a lot over the last couple of years. I mean, I love olives. In South Australia, we have lots of feral olive trees. So I go for a walk. There's a linear park where I go for a bit of a walk, and it's just covered in feral olive trees. A couple of seasons ago, we were at a friend's house and the old, the grandfather, he had olive trees in his back garden and he wanted to get rid of them. So he's like sawing off these branches and we're stripping the olives off with buckets and buckets and buckets of olives that then Nonna had to process and all the rest of it. But there's different qualities, different types. And do tell us, what sort of olive should we be eating? Is there is there any difference between the extra virgin and the light and the dark? Yeah, great question. So I think broadly speaking, we obviously have to consider first the, the olives as table olives to eat. We have to consider the oil and we have to consider the leaf because you know, all of them offer some beneficial effects, either medicinally, food-wise, or a mixture of both. So 
In terms of olive oil, there's there's so many myths going around, around, as you said, the smoke point, around colour, all those kinds of things. And I was lucky enough just before COVID hit that I went down and did a two-day training in with modern olives in how to actually judge olive oil through taste, smell, all that kind of stuff. It was only two days of training, so basically it taught me the basics to be an amateur, and that's pretty much it. But you know, one of the things I learned in that particular training was that things like colour don't play a role in the judgment of the olive oil. So for instance, when olive oil is being officially graded by groups like the International Olive Council, they use little cups that they put the oil into that are either color colored blue or colored red to disguise the color of the oil so that it doesn't influence the judge's decision on it. So yeah, color's got absolutely nothing to do with quality. It comes down to the taste, the smell, the, the feeling of it in the back of the throat, the texture of the oil. If you've ever tasted a poor quality oil and then a good quality oil, you'll know that kind of waxiness of the bad stuff versus the smooth taste and feel of a good olive oil. Yeah, absolutely. But so interesting about the colour because when I'm going to, you're in the supermarket. So in New Zealand with milk, totally different product obviously, but the milk is in closed containers. It's a coloured plastic. So you can't, so no sunlight can get to the milk because that degrades the milk. And so when I was there recently, my son was like, I feel I'm buying a bottle of bleach because it's the same bottle you'd buy your bleach in in Australia. And when we're here, we're buying olive oil, some are in cans, some are in dark green, some are in brown bottles, but some are completely clear in the white bottle. And they're saying, look at the colour sort of thing. So what should we be buying them in? What sort of container should we be getting them in? Well, absolutely ideal is something that completely excludes light because light, oxygen, and heat are the main things that can degrade it over time. So if you've got a a dark coloured bottle, that's probably your best. Cans are useful if you're using large amounts. So if you're buying those big five-litre cans and you're using a lot of it cooking for a big family or doing a restaurant or something. But the problem with that for smaller families is that you have it open for a long period of time. So it's exposed to the oxygen, you know, for a long period of time. So in actual fact, if you're just one or two people cooking for yourselves, you're better off with a bottle, you know, 750 ml, 500 ml thereabouts, so that it's open for less time and you should ideally use a bottle from start to finish, you know, opening to finish for weeks, you know, no longer than that ideally. Right. Well, I mean, I know not to leave it in the fridge or do anything like that. So I've got that one covered. What about the sort of for health-wise, there's that two tablespoons or more a day. Should we, does it have to be extra virgin? Can it be, what sort of olive oil are we looking at? We're definitely looking at extra virgin olive oil. So for a lot of people, they don't know the difference between all these different grains of olive oil out there. There's refined oils, there's natural oil, there's all these kind of uh, marketing terms that are applied. But extra virgin olive oil is really the only one that we should ideally be consuming. The refined oils 
lose most of their medicinal value. So most of the biophenols removed, if not all the biophenols removed, and you know the flavour is not there, the smell's not there. So what you often see with some of the brands is that they'll do a blend, 80% refined, 20% extra virgin olive oil or 20% virgin oil, which is a step down from the extra virgin. So yeah, definitely the extra virgin olive oil, but then actually knowing what is truly extra virgin, what is not, is one of the problematic things because a lot of surveys and testing that has been done in Australia or overseas, et cetera, shows that reasonably high percentages, 20%, sometimes up to 50% of those claiming to be extra virgin aren't. They don't meet the official definitions in those countries for that. So yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful on that. So if you're looking at a big, you know, a big producer, a big brand, you want to make sure that they're properly certified. So in Australia, you're looking at a certification from the Australian Olive Association or the Australian Olive Oil Association. And you'll see those little markers on the label. Yeah, that's not to say that smaller companies and smaller ones uh, that don't have that label are not good. They can still be because obviously, you know, it costs a bit to get the certification. And if you're looking at a big supermarket brand, yeah, you want to have that certification. Yeah, because I either buy mine at the market from the person who's produced it or I buy it from the supermarket. And my last one is a can. I've got a can in the pantry. I'm going to go and check. I wonder how old. <laughs> I'd have to, I'm sure I'd bought it not that long ago, but it was certainly more than four weeks ago. Yeah, I might be bake or something with that. So you <laughs> should get up and get some fresh. Is it worth buying? Because if we're cooking with it and things, is it worth perhaps having that known extra virgin with the label on it as the one that we sort of take more sort of into, we're putting on the salads so that we've got a table one and then we've got the one that we have in the kitchen that could be from the local maker or one of sort of the still virgin olive oil, but from the supermarket with that marker on it, perhaps mm. to save that bit of money or? I think it comes down, as you say, to your budget and to you, what, yeah, what flavor profile are you looking for in terms of how you're using it? You know, as you say, putting it on salads, you'll often want something reasonably robust. And, you know, some of the good, good quality olive oils have an amazing flavor to them. So, you know, it comes down to your, as I say, budget and to flavor profile. So if you're cooking, Still use extra virgin olive oil, but you can use a slightly kind of lower grade in terms of the flavour. It still fits the definition of extra virgin olive oil, though. Yeah, minus I've definitely got extra virgin olive oil in that can, but now I'm desperate to, I should have brought it in with me. So I could have inspected the can to see if there was a label on it because it wasn't a market one. The last, I didn't go to the market. I missed the market. I was like, I'll go back. And I didn't go back. And then I was like, I don't want no olive oil. I have to go to the supermarket, grab the can. But yes, won't be doing that anymore. So we're getting our olive oil, hopefully, into our clients. So getting in two tablespoons a day, and we can put it on the food. Once it's cooked, does it still got all that goodness of that needed two tablespoons? It contributes to it. So obviously, ideally, you know, you're not cooking with all of your olive oil. So if your whole two tablespoon intake for the day comes from frying with olive oil, not so ideal. But there is this myth that we can't cook with olive oil. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, smoke point is a common discussion around this. And smoke point is a basically a laboratory measure 
of when a particular oil burns with a clear blue flame. And that's all. So it's not predictive of the actual safety and quality of an oil when you cook with it. And there's been lots of interesting heating studies and cooking studies with olive oil in the last few years that have actually shown that in terms of the compounds that are formed when you heat an oil that are quite undesirable, shall we say, you know, have been reputation for contributing to cancer and inflammatory diseases and so forth, you actually get a lot less of those in olive oil than most of your other oils that are commonly cooked with things like sunflower oil, rapeseed oil, safflower oil, rice bran oil, things like that. And so it's actually safer to yeah. be cooking with extra virgin olive oil. I went through a stage of using rice bran oil. It's like, oh, rice bran oil, it's the best, it's the best. I remember the kids were little and I'd always used olive oil and I was like, oh, okay, then I'll try rice bran. And then my sister turned around and said, it's really highly processed. Are you sure you want to be using that? And I was like, good point. Let's just get back to the oil. I think that is the, the real point is the processing. We're constantly talking about that in general with diet, that we want to minimize the intake of processed foods. And that includes processed oils. You know, yeah. The fewer of those we have, the better. Yeah. Because with the co- extra virgin is normally cold pressed. Am I right saying that? Yeah. So the, again, the cold pressing is often used as a bit of a marketing term. Cold pressing is, that's just how you do it. That is how you produce olive oil. You don't heat it in the process. It'll gently warm a little bit with the process of the milling of the fruit, but that's it. It's not actual heating per se. Yeah, that's right, because I've got a cold-pressed juicer, and so it does warm up because, of mm. course, it's grinding. It has, it's going to warm up. But, yeah, it's not getting hot as yeah. such, so it's probably the same thing. There's just mechanics and machinery rubbing against each other. Now, the other thing you mentioned at the beginning is, so we're getting our olive oil into our clients, but then you said about the leaf. So tell us a bit about the leaf, because that is that kind of works as a medicine, doesn't it? We can have it as tinctures. We can yep. have it as just as the leaf itself. I know that one of the conferences I was at, I don't know when or where I was, you gave out some bottles of the leaf. And it tasted absolutely fine. I've got to say, I slugged back my bottle because it's for cardiac health. I'm sure that you said at the time. Tell us a bit about that leaf and how formats are we getting it in? Yeah. So the formats. You can have it as, say, a liquid or as a a dried powder put into tablets, capsules, things like that. You can even have it as a tea, but obviously as a tea, it's a little bit harder to measure out and compare the quantity that you're getting of the active chemicals to the clinical trials that have been done. But in terms of effect, yeah, cardiovascular and immune and infectious diseases are the kind of the two broad areas that olive leaf is useful for and yeah, historically, the immune and infectious disease aspect was how it was kind of originally used. So Daniel Hanbury, who was a British botanist and pharmacognosist in the 19th century, he published, I think it was in 1854, in a British pharmaceutical journal about the use of olive leaf by colleagues in Spain and so forth for well, things like malaria and other types of tropical fevers and so forth. And that's really how it got kind of popularized coming out of the Spanish use there from Spanish physicians going through the rest of Europe into the UK 
And then eventually, you know, we start researching it in modern times. So that's the beginning, that's the history. And then, of course, yeah, the cardiovascular and metabolic diseases, that's where a lot of the attention is now because it's showing some valuable, really valuable points there. And I'm, I'm currently doing a clinical trial looking at it in type 2 diabetic patients to see whether we can improve glycemic control as well. So because if they're having olive oil itself, would they have the olive leaf as well? Would Because I've got to have that two tablespoons at some clients are using. There's always the, do I need both of these? Do I need the tea as well as the capsule? Do I need the oil as well as the uh, liquid or whatever? So why would we give both to them? You've got to remember there's chemical differences. So consider the olive oil as food, as prevention, as being the basis of good health. And it's rich in, in the polyphenols, yes but nowhere near as much as the leaf. So the chemistry is a bit different. You've got more sterols, more fatty acids, more triterpenoids in the oil, and you've got more of your biophenols, so oleoropine, hydroxytyrosol, flavonoids, etc., in the leaf. And so the leaf is your medicine, and your oil is your food in prevention. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's great to know. I mean, it's olive oil itself, it's so easy and so traditional and yet there's a lot of media about not using it you know the smoke point you can't cook with it you can't do this that you can't do the other thing with it go and get something else and there's a lot of i know very little for example about coconut oil although it's touted a lot because it's got its high smoke point something that's going to leap into my diet even though having grown up in auckland it's a lot huge polynesian community a lot of polynesian foods that i grew up on so but still didn't really have coconut oil as such it's really interesting how things have come into our diets whereas the olive oil i mean south australia we're just surrounded by trees there are feral trees everywhere there's tree acres and acres of them properly planted to do everything with it's we are olive oil central and almonds, <laughs> big one. I mean, they're great to have, but all these other oils, it's really hard when we're talking to our clients to get them to change their diet. And sometimes remembering the simple things like olive oil, salt, pepper, mm. these really simple, the condiments really is what we have to get into them. Yeah, exactly. And I think also remembering too that, you know, for some patients, things like olive oil, they're not accustomed to using on a regular basis. So there's, there's a barrier that we need to work through there. But also for some patients, the cost, you know, these refined oils that are commonly available in the supermarket, they're exceedingly inexpensive. So we've got to ensure that the good quality oil, good quality extra virgin olive oil is accessible financially. And one of the advantages we've got in Australia is we can grow olive trees and produce good quality oil, which means paying for the transportation from overseas, worried about the storage and the degradation that can occur over that time frame. So we can actually get some really good quality oil compared to, for instance, in the UK, where it's going to be three, five times the cost a lot of the time got a patient in the UK at the moment where, you know, just trying to organise for them to get good quality extra virgin olive oil has been a little bit of a challenge. Right. You wouldn't think about it. It seems so normal. And when I think now back to when I was living in Cardiff, there were lots of, I was in halls of residence with lots of Greeks doing their masters of nursing. And then their mothers and they would come and visit and they'd bring oil. 
they bring olive oil with them for them. They'd bring all sorts of food that they'd made and all sorts of things, but they brought olive oil and then when then they'd say, Let's go to Greek church on Sunday. I'm like, Well, I'm not really into that. They're like, No, 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 they'll feed us. <laughs> the students. And look, they're very good at feeding people. I remember <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but there would be the olive oil and they would of course ship it to themselves. And now I never even thought about it. It was just saying I lived there for years and years. But of course, I was going through the, oh, I have to use this oil and it's better for me. I have to use this oil and it's better for me because I just didn't know. And of course, there wasn't, as I guess, as much research coming out and as many people touting and getting us to understand that olive oil is the oil we should be using. So, well, I've got lots to think about and we've got some... And as practitioners, we have to remember to really nut down with our clients to some of the basics that they're doing, and that does include the olive oil, those condiments that they're having. I've got, oh, sorry, one second to tell my story of when I was a student. I said to that client, I said, what do you have for lunch? I said, something about salad for lunch. Anyway, so she said, she has tomato, pickle, and lettuce for her lunch. And I said, oh, could you put vinegar and olive oil on that? And then she said, oh, okay. And then I saw her the next time and I saw her looks through my notes. And I said, how did you go putting your olive oil and, and extra virgin, uh, extra, so your olive oil and apple cider vinegar on your salad? And she said, I did try, but it just made the burger bun really mushy. <laughs> she was describing a burger that she got from the Golden Arches every day for her lunch. And I hadn't really understood and asked the question well enough. And so now I am considerably more particular about how I ask <laughs> very diary information uh, yeah it's amazing those little clinical lessons that we all get through <laughs> yeah. yeah so I can tell you that putting olive oil and vinegar on a burger it just isn't going to work for your clients you're going to have to get them to get rid of the bun <laughs> we'd agree so I think we'll leave it there but thank you so much for coming in it's really good to know which ones we should be using and how we should be using it with our clients and to get them to change some of these basics are really going to help them overall. Yeah. And I think remembering to um, the clinicians, the Olive Wellness Institute has a range of resources, both for health professionals, but also for the public. So access to journal papers, access to reports about Mediterranean diet, about olive leaf, about olive oil, et cetera. So it's a really good resource for people to use. Yeah. Don't forget it. The um, link will be in the show notes, peeps. So just go to the show notes and you will find the link to that. And there's also recipes in there I have found, which I have used and are very nice. Okay. So <laughs> lots of resources on there. Have you got anything else? Have we missed anything in the you wanted to share? The only thing I'd like to share is something came up from Leandro, who uh, ends up Cobram, and he gave me a tip to combine my two favorite things in the universe, which is chocolate and olive oil. And as it turns out, if you dip some, you know, even just average quality dark chocolate in extra virgin olive oil, just dip a piece in extra virgin olive oil and, and taste it, it's so super smooth and almost like a milk chocolate. It's absolutely bizarre in how it changes the character of the chocolate. So I think, you know, I've just learned the most amazing thing from Leanne mm -hmm. to combine my two favorite passions in the universe. Oh, well, I'm totally doing that tonight. I have a line of 85% every single night and yep. my night isn't complete unless I've had my chocolate. So tonight it's getting dipped in quite possibly a new bottle of extra virgin oil. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on in. It's been absolutely brilliant having you with us. 
and good luck with the PhD. Now, that's not in olive oil with the PhD in again. So this will be looking at, at how naturopaths evaluate clinical outcomes in our patients. What techniques do we use? What methods do we use? What systems do we use? So yeah, I'm, I'm putting that together now and yeah, 80% excited, 20% freaked out about the whole process of doing the PhD, but I think it's time. Yeah, you'll be fine. So, but folks, you'll need to look out for that because if he's looking at our processes, then he's going to be asking us for input. So exactly. <laughs> just thought I'd put that one out there so that everybody knew when Ian said, hey, I need your help. We all know what it's about. So thank you very much for joining us, Ian. And Pleasure. I look forward to seeing you around. See ya. Thanks, Geraldine. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes. If you'd like even more support and learning, then the Academy is for you. Here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions, more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice. Bye for now.